Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. We apologize for the slight delay in getting the newest episode out. Things have been chaos on my side. I don't know. What about you, Dars? Chaos would be putting it lightly. <laughs> I don't want to pry if you don't wish to share um, anything with the listeners, but um, needless to say, we both have been in a situation where recording has not been the highest of priorities. We apologize, but family and our lives have to come first at some time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in any case, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on on my end. We are just plowing through the remodeling. We've got house guests that are coming next week. Ooh, nice. I saw you finish the carriage house. Yeah. Yeah, we got it done. That's awesome. There's a couple little things that still need to be finished, like the dishwasher needs to be put in, and there's a set of blinds that need to be put up. But other than that, um, it's good to go. So we're really There's a excited. dishwasher in the carriage house? There is. Um, oh, yeah, dude. But it's really skeezy so we were going to put a new one in there um, it just hasn't <laughs> yeah. happened yet um that's awesome man yeah yeah and then um since my new job is remote um fully Yay. remote i am going to start dog sitting again for all my friends <gasps> in california and they're basically like yeah we'll fly you out there no big deal no <laughs> i'm like yes please oh my god seriously yeah I'm so excited. I can't even tell you. Like the ones in, you can recut this part, but the ones in Rancho? Yeah. Oh, she sent me dude. like a whole list of dates and was like, pick the ones you want. We'll fly you out. And I was like, oh. Um, <laughs> absolutely. For those yes. of you who don't know me, I'm like a total dog person. And my dog passed away in April 2018. I have been unable to get another dog. Um, it's just too mm -hmm. emotionally... Um, challenging for me right now because I just can't imagine mm -hmm. anyone like being comparing to Cooper, my baby. Mm -hmm. And then secondarily, um, it's just I haven't, uh, it's just too emotionally painful still. And I know yeah. that sounds, it sounds weird to a lot of people who can't imagine that a dog would provide that much love and, and comfort and security to a person, but he was my baby and I just, I haven't been able to pull the trigger on that. But at the same time, I still love dogs and love being mm -hmm. around them. And so being able to dog sit again just allows me to have that time with the pups so that I don't feel quite yeah, so for bad. Sure. And the ones that I'm going to yeah. be spending most time with are two puggles. So nice. They're so cute. Yeah. I definitely get that because Layla, I mean, Layla was like my best friend. Like she moved with me to three states and like I, I had that. it for 10 Love years, it. you know. And if, um, my vet actually recommended I get another, like a puppy, um, cause Layla had cancer yeah. and my vet recommended kind of toward the end when her cancer came back that I, I get like a puppy, it can kind of help their energy and, and mood and things like that. And that's the only reason I got Dahlia. Yeah. And if it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't have gotten a dog so quickly. Well, I think um, some people, it's hard. Some people do a lot better when they have that mm -hmm. puppy to focus on. And I couldn't, mm -hmm. I just couldn't. Yeah. Every time I would see another dog, I would just burst into tears, like yeah. it, uncontrollable tears. So <laughs> yeah, I definitely get it. Yeah. Um, for me, I just haven't been able to do it yet. I can hang out with other people's dogs and dog sit and mm -hmm. things like that. Like I went, we went to some friend's house this last weekend and they had a little dog and I just loved her. Her name was Maggie. She was so cute just a little kind of like carn terrier and i just mm -hmm. wanted to pick her up and love on her she was so sweet so that i got my little doggy fix um yeah but in any case um we've got an interesting show today i, I guarantee you you have not heard of this one 
Okay. Um, but I'm kind of feeling the need for June and July to talk about female killers. Ooh, all right. So that's going to be my theme for the next couple of episodes. I've got three really good podcasts coming up all about women who kill. Mm. And you're going to like it. Because I don't know. Okay. I've, you've probably heard of one of them and not heard of the other two. And there's some really interesting cases. I'll have those other ones to record for you probably later in the week or this weekend. But they're yeah. already half prepared. I just didn't get them finished for tonight. Awesome. Really good stuff. Um, but tonight I'm going to talk about a girl by the name of Justine Winter. Okay. Now this case happened in Montana, in Big Sky Country, the home of open skies, endless fields, and today's story. Have you ever been to Montana? I have. My family, parts of my family are from Montana. Um, it's supposed to be gorgeous. Yeah, I've never been My there. dad loved it. Just loved, loved, yeah. loved Montana. He would make many, many, many trips there. My family's from Helena, or Helena, mm -hmm. however you want to say it. I've heard it said both ways. People from there will probably say it's something completely different, but um, I do have family there. Um, but that's funny. There's a place that's spelled the exact same in Alabama. It's like in the like south of Birmingham. What do they call it? But it's Helena. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like I think it might be Helena in I think Montana. It's, I thought it was Helena, Helena in Montana. Okay, that's what I always thought it was, but I've never been I there. I apologize. So like, if you're from Montana, or if you've been there, please write. I in apologize and let us know. so hardcore, Montana people. <laughs> it's like if you're from Washington State, you feel the same way about a lot of yeah. pronunciations. Like when yeah. people say Spokane. It's not Spokane. Or, uh, it's Spokane. Puyallup. Even though there's a K, Puyallup. it's Spokane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Puyallup. It's like, no, yeah. it's Puyallup. Yeah. It's not Puyallup. Really hard to... yeah. <laughs> they have some very interesting pronunciations for a lot of things. And I yeah. grew up in a town called Snohomish. And that, there's yeah. a lot of Native American names there that people just slaughter. So yeah. I feel the pain. I apologize if I slaughtered the name for Montana. But in any case, it's winter in March 2009. It's okay. March 19th to be exact. It's cold. It's dark. It's a Montana evening. It's in Flathead Valley. And for those of you who are not familiar with the Northwest and the Pacific Northwest, and it is dark as heck in March at really? night. Really? Okay. Very, very dark. And in this particular area, it's quiet and it's cold. And it's like the highway stretches on some of these roads are super dangerous because they get mm -hmm. icy. There's a lot of accidents. People get bored on the long stretch of roadway and sometimes fall asleep. So mm. there's a lot of issues on a lot on some of these highways and freeways in Montana and surrounding gotcha. areas. But it's cold. It's dark. It's often drizzly and rainy um, during those fall and, and spring gotcha. months, which is essentially yeah. March. But Mary and Randy Winter are at home that evening waiting for their 16-year-old daughter, Justine. All right. She was a new driver. She was young and kind of unused to the Montana winter roads. And so they were a little concerned when she didn't show up on time. She was due home at eight and her parents were mm -hmm. very uneasy that she hadn't arrived by eight because she was very punctual. Yes, absolutely. It gets dark yeah. like between four and five at that time of the year in that area. So it had been dark for a while and they don't really have the road mm. lights like they have in a lot of other places. Mm -hmm. So it is dark. You can see the stars in places like that. But something didn't feel right to Justine's parents. And they started calling her cell phone at about 5 after 8, and they got no answer. And then they called the house where Justine had been and were told she'd left already. So they were like, okay. Then they began to suspect that maybe mm. there was a car accident, which 
in that kind of a situation, given the history of that road, would not have been terribly mm-hmm. unusual. But in the meantime, coming in the opposite direction of Miss Justine, who's heading on her way home to her parents, is Erin Thompson. She's a 35-year-old mother of Caden, and she was also pregnant with another child. And Caden was 13 years old. Um, he was in the back seat. And she's heading, like I said, in the opposite direction of Justine. And they're on their way home from a school concert where Caden okay. had just played the drums. So they're like passing each other on the highway kind mm. of a thing. They're heading towards each other. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Jason Thompson, Aaron's husband, and Caden's stepdad had had car trouble, and he hadn't been able to attend the concert, and he was waiting for the two at home. And just like Justine's parents, something seemed wrong to him. His wife Mm -hmm. wasn't home, and he just had this kind of instinctive feeling like something Mm -hmm. was not right. And... In the meantime, Justine's dad, who was a firefighter and a National Guardsman, gets into his car and goes out to look for his daughter, which Mm -hmm. that's Montana parent for you. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to hop into my truck. I'm going to go find the kid, right? Yeah. Because there's only so many places they could be on the roadways, right? Because you don't have freeways and roadways like you have in California all over the place. There's like maybe two or three main roadways, and that's where you know your kid's going to be. And he knew what route she was taking because he knew where she'd been. So he's like, I'm just going to go take a look. There's not, like, multiple routes to different, like, to the same place kind of a thing. No, it's pretty singular. Um, Highway 93 is the road that she would normally have taken. Mm -hmm. And he gets to an overpass in a construction zone, and he sees his daughter's car. (gasps) And essentially, she's being pulled from the car when he passes by. (gasps) She is mangled and barely alive. Oh, my God. After this terrific, horrible accident... She has brain damage, broken bones, um, and her chances of survival are quite slim, according to doctors in the ER at that time. Jason Thompson simultaneously gets a call telling him that Aaron didn't make it, and neither did Caden, his 13-year-old stepson. Oh, my God. They had both died in this car accident that Justine Winter was involved in. It was a head-on collision. And both families at that point were absolutely devastated and grief-stricken, as they would be, you know. It's not yeah. something you can ever prepare yourself for or expect or know how to deal with. Absolutely. Um, but both families hear that this might not have been an accident. What? Yeah. So Highway 93 was notoriously dangerous and had been for quite a while, because there had been frequent accidents that had plagued the area along the same path that these two individuals had taken that day. Mm-hmm. Erin was a single mom, a hairdresser who'd only recently married her second husband, Jason. She loved to dance. She was spiritual. Summer 2006 is when she'd married Jason Thompson, and the family of three loved outdoor activities, backpacking, camping, hiking, etc. And in 2009, Erin was four months pregnant when she was killed in that car accident. Mm-hmm. Justine Winter had a broken neck, broken legs, major internal injuries, and she had to get airlifted to Seattle for care. Wow. And she had numerous surgeries. She survived these, and they actually induced a coma to let her body heal while she was Mm -hmm. going through all this because she needed so much surgery. Mm -hmm. But one month after the accident, she finally wakes up, and it takes her a minute it takes her quite a while, in fact, to understand what happened. 
Mm-hmm. She was devastated when she found out about the victims of the accident, Aaron Caden and the unborn child. Okay. Mm-hmm. Highway patrol officers determined that Justine's car was the one that crossed the center divide in the construction zone and collided with Aaron's car. Okay. First responders believed the double fatality was a homicide. The reason for that is Justine's phone had a bunch of text messages that told authorities step-by-step what had happened along her car and the accident at the scene. Okay. She'd been texting throughout the night and during the accident. Mm. But it's what she said that caused the prosecutors to take action and file charges against her. What? Justine crossed the center line and crashed into Aaron Thompson's vehicle on purpose. <gasps> she was trying to die by suicide, and she'd texted her boyfriend all of this. Yeah. Very unexpected, oh right? Oh, God. So Montana's murder charge is called deliberate homicide. And this is what Justine was charged with months after the accident that caused so much damage for both families. Prosecutors believed she'd known what she was doing, knew the consequences, and they also wanted to charge her as an adult to make sure that she paid for this incident. Now, Justine was released from prison pending the trial and given an ankle monitor. She pled not guilty and remained on house arrest while attending classes at Glacier High School in Montana. Wait. She woke up a month after this accident with a broken neck and severe injuries. Mm-hmm. And she was able to go home and yeah. return to daily life yeah. enough to be rested yeah. and go to school? Yeah. Wow. And okay. maybe it was her age. Maybe it was all the injuries that she had. They don't know. But it, right. it it's not usual for someone to be able to go home after homicide charges. But in any case, her parents believe that she was completely innocent. That regardless of the text messages she'd sent... They felt their daughter was being unfairly targeted, that she would never have caused such an accident on purpose. So interviews revealed that the families knew each other, actually, and Aaron's family made it clear that they wanted an apology, some sign Mm -hmm. that Justine was going to take responsibility for her actions, and they wanted to forgive her. Mm -hmm. But nothing came from her. She refused to apologize. Um, Then in the fall of 2010... The Thompson family gets a knock on their door, and it's paperwork indicating that Aaron's estate is being sued by Justine's for her pain and suffering, implying that Aaron was the one who caused the accident, and she'd been negligent behind the wheel. Oh, my God. I was going to ask, like, would that be advice from an attorney or whatever to say don't apologize because then you're admitting fault? Okay. Right. So the reason behind this is that the and they also sorry in this lawsuit alleged that the construction companies responsible in the area when the crash happened had caused hazardous and confusing conditions so they sued aaron's estate and they sued the construction companies that were doing construction on the highway at that time Um, and the thompson family as well as the rest of the community was understandably horrified like what in the heck but justine's attorneys claim that there was no ill will that they were just trying to increase the chances of a better insurance payout for justine later that by preemptively wow. striking and making this claim that they could get an insurance payout because as you can imagine with an accident that severe with that much surgery 
that mm-hmm. there was going to be a significant medical cost associated mm-hmm. with this accident. And they were like, if we do this, we have better chances of insurance paying for all these medical bills. Mm-hmm. That and, you know, any loss of future income being that she was just 16. Yeah. yeah. So January 2011, the trial for deliberate homicide begins. And Justine is there in court ready to tell everyone what happened. So the communities were entirely against Justine, the families, everyone Mm -hmm. that wasn't Justine's immediate family was noticeably against her. Mm -hmm. And she made sure, or her attorneys made sure that she looked deliberately childlike with clothes and hair accessories that were younger than her 16 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And the court demonstrated at this time that Justine's Pontiac Grand Am was the one that crossed the center line and hit Aaron Thompson's vehicle. The mm-hmm. evidence was clear and simple. There was no question. The crime scene investigators showed very, very clearly that it was Justine, not Aaron, that caused this accident. Yeah. Um, Aaron's Subaru had been driven back so hard that it had crashed and crunched into the barrier. Um, mm-hmm. But they needed to show that Justine's actions were deliberate and planned. Right. Because in order to get that homicide charge to stick, they had to show those two things. Mm-hmm. So they pulled the black box from Justine's car. I didn't even know that cars had black boxes. I actually just learned that this week. In your profession, yes. I can imagine yeah. that's something that you yeah. probably learned pretty quickly. But yes, yeah. her car had a black box. And um, it showed that the 16-year-old had accelerated past 80 miles per hour in, danger- in that dangerous construction zone. And she'd taken off her seatbelt as well. Ooh. I didn't even know that they could show that. I knew that it could show speed and mm-hmm. braking, but it showed that she had taken off her seatbelt. Mm-hmm. And she had not swerved or hit the brakes until the very last second before she hit Aaron's car head on. But she did hit the, she did touch the brakes. She touched them at the last very last second when it was clearly too late to do anything. Right. And if that wasn't bad enough, there were some very very telling text messages. Justine at the time of this accident had a boyfriend named Ryan. And evidently the two were in a very, very dramatic and emotional relationship. They'd had a breakup that night. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. And that was what caused the accident that night on the Montana road that she was driving. But here's what her text messages said. So you tell me whether you think this is a deliberate accident or not. Mm -hmm. But as she was driving home, she's texting him. Goodbye, Ryan. Just live your life knowing you did change me. My last words, I love you, Ryan, which it's not her last words because she immediately texts back more. Mm -hmm. But then she says, if I won, I would have you and I wouldn't crash my car. Okay. Ryan says, you kill yourself, I kill myself. So come on, don't be selfish. To which she responds back, that's the only thing I want to live for. You, Ryan, you keep me living. Ryan says, stop, you hurt yourself, I'll know. And I'll do the same. To which Justine responds, that's why I'm going to wreck my car. Because all I can do is F up. It shows you I would rather die because I want to kill myself. Goodbye, Ryan. I love you. Ryan says, you killing yourself is just another way for you to run away. And then five to six minutes after that, Justine crashes head on into Aaron Thompson's Subaru. Okay. So 
Instead of killing herself, as she had said in the text, she killed three other people. So what's crazy about this whole thing is the defense lawyers just suddenly go on the attack. The Winter family is unemotional and blank-faced. Her mother had escaped this whole thing into alcoholism. Her brother mm. dropped out of college to help take care of Justine and take her to all her medical appointments. And her father imploded. So but basically the whole family felt misunderstood and demonized by the community because of Justine's actions. Mm -hmm. They said they knew Justine. They knew that she was good, kind, thoughtful, and wouldn't harm anyone intentionally. Mm -hmm. She's also an emotional teenage girl who doesn't have impulse control. Right. Exactly. Justine's attorneys claimed everything the prosecution claimed was false, including where they claimed the accident happened. And they did this through their own expert witnesses and accident reconstruction. So they basically were like, hey, prosecution, hey, guys on the whole stateside team with these professional mm -hmm. experts that testify over and over again, you're wrong. Our experts say this. <laughs> That's pretty common. So from what I've learned on my job, they claim that it was Aaron that exited her lane and caused the crash in the construction area. Was it an active construction area? Yes. Probably not because it was nighttime. Well, it wasn't. There like was, they weren't working it currently, but they obviously okay. had like the cones and all the signs yeah. that there was construction going okay. on. Um, and the attorneys also claimed that things had been planted and that the black box from Justine's car was wrong, just flat out wrong, that Justine always wore her seatbelt. Okay. Which, really? Really? Yeah. The, yeah. Okay. And then they also say that the texts were not suicide and she would never commit suicide over a fight with a boy. Which is like, <laughs> really? Really? So, yeah. Justine never took the stand. Which, you know, that's not surprising. Um, right. I think that oftentimes attorneys advise against that. Um, and she was also advised against it. Um, conveniently, Justine was diagnosed with a brain injury after the crash and didn't remember anything. I mean, I'm, you say conveniently. <laughs> she remembered everything except for the crash. Yeah, that's really common. And everything after the crash, just not the crash. Yes. That's really common. Um, she just draws a complete blank. Even though she remembers the text and she remembers that she had a tumultuous relationship, she remembers the prom mm -hmm. and all that stuff, she just doesn't remember the crash. Mm -hmm. So, that's and I was going to ask you about super, that. And we, we can talk yeah. about that after I okay. get done with this because yeah, it's yeah, yeah, something yeah. that I find <clears throat> curious. But yeah, they need to know, though, did the evidence clearly show the required intent to commit suicide by causing a head-on collision, which is very, mm -hmm. very uncommon. I think, you know committing suicide and killing somebody while trying to commit suicide is not a common occurrence at all. But, mm -hmm. um, the case of the 17 year old girl, Justine winter was now going to a jury. And during the determination, Randy winter, father of Justine collapses and has to be taken to the hospital. It, the stress is just too much for him, mm -hmm. which, you know, I can understand if your daughter and your whole family has been demonized and villainized by the community and everyone hates you. And they're, you know, mm -hmm. shouting out, terrible things about you because your daughter killed three people i can understand it would be stressful but yeah absolutely after four hours of deliberation justine winters was found guilty of deliberate homicide okay. and of killing aaron thompson and caden her son as well as the unborn child but it wasn't a victory for everyone the whole court cried when the verdict was read mm -hmm. and a week later justine 
um, turned 18, and she was sentenced to 30 years with 15 years suspended for her role in this accident. Mm. And it was a bitter victory because Justine never apologized or claimed any responsibility. At a later time, she wrote them a letter and she claimed that she was wrongly convicted of the accident and everything had been blown out of proportion and she didn't deserve jail time. She wrote this to Aaron's family? Yes. But she talked, she wrote this and she talked about it in her statement to the court. She basically said she didn't deserve jail time, just the chance to turn a negative situation into a positive one. Hmm. Which everybody was just like floored that she would Mm -hmm. not accept any responsibility for her actions. The Thompson family was just devastated and angry at her lack of responsibility or any sort of apology. They didn't sue her or her family. They just wanted an apology. They could have sued her. Um, And they claimed that they knew her sleazy attorneys were the ones that had turned her in the wrong direction. So they knew she was an innocent girl, that her attorneys are the ones that said that. So, and I'm sure that they did tell her that because if she admits responsibility, then there's the possibility of a civil lawsuit. So they're probably trying to protect her. But at the same time, when you're a family that's grieving for the loss of three people, that's not what you want to hear, right? Mm -hmm. You want an apology. You want her to accept responsibility for her actions, which is in my opinion, something that most defendants in court cases that are found guilty have to do in order to get parole. But right. in any case, you can hear her speak. There's a lot of recordings of her online, and you just hear, don't hear any... It doesn't sound like a significant brain injury is present, but again, I'm not a professional. I'm not a medical mm-hmm. professional. I don't know. But in her statement, she still denies any responsibility and basically says... She won't even say she's sorry. At no point does she admit anything or say she's sorry at any point. And Justine's family claims they were betrayed by the justice system. And she was the youngest inmate at the prison. And the civil lawsuit that she had filed through her attorneys was dropped after she was sent to prison. Um, Because they understood once they got that criminal conviction, there was no way she was going to win a civil case. Okay. Yeah. But um, that wasn't where the whole tragic story ended. Meanwhile, in the women's prison in Billings, Montana, Justine Winters decides to grant an interview to Dateline NBC. Oh, no. Yeah. And she basically claims that her brain injury um, made it so that she was misconstrued. And it's why she couldn't and didn't apologize. Because functionally, she says she wasn't able to do that because of her brain injury. Okay. And that also caused her to sound in a way that was unsympathetic and that she was misconstrued for that reason. Hmm. She claims she remembers two days before the accident and nothing after the accident until after she woke up. It just seems just a little too convenient to me. Um, she claims she would never have tried to commit suicide, especially since her paternal grandmother died by suicide, which hmm. to me is another reason why you would try to commit suicide because, you know, again, I'm not a medical professional, but I know enough mm-hmm. in my experience of seeing and reading and studying to know that this is something that can run in families. Mm-hmm. But her explanation is just kind of ridiculous. She says that her boyfriend, Ryan, liked to control everything with her life, and it was just a game they were playing with the text messages and that none of it was serious. She claims mm-hmm. until this day she's completely innocent and was wearing a seatbelt despite the, what the evidence said. And she said... If I knew it was me, I would take responsibility. And at no point does she ever seem sorry. She just seems sorry for herself. She served four years in prison and was released on parole in 2015. Oh my goodness. So, thoughts. 
brain injury. So this is, I mean, this is really interesting because it's actually something kind of, well, anyway. So typically in this situation, what the experts would do would, like the, in terms of accident reconstruction and, and injury experts would, would not say they, you couldn't prove intent to die by suicide, mm-hmm. um, but you could improve, you could prove intent to cause the accident. Like you could, you could prove that, that she did intend to cause, like she, she full on said, she, I'm going to crash my car. Like, right, like, but like it doesn't get any more like here it is on a platter. Yeah. But like you can, you can, you can mathematically prove that. And there's also differences in the way that the body responds being a restrained occupant versus yeah, an unrestrained yeah. occupant, occupant. So I'm sure that the experts took that into consideration too, um, regardless of what the black box yeah. said. Um, so the thing though about the brain injury, and, and I both know this A, because of what I study and B, because I know somebody that this happened to, um, when the brain experiences like a super, super traumatic event like that, it does tend to shut down yeah. and you don't remember the event. Well, um, I have a friend, or I had a friend in high school who, um, was in a super serious car accident. He was on the freeway. He was driving north, and a car came across the freeway, which is like a divided freeway. Mm-hmm. She was driving south, and her car like went through the median and like up a hill, and then went airborne oh and landed God. on top of his car. Like while they're going like like he was going like probably seventy because that was the oh, speed that's limit. Oh, so crazy! Um, and he had to have like an emergency tracheotomy on the side of the freeway, and he just got lucky that a nurse pulled yeah. over and did oh it. Oh, my God, that's so crazy. Um, and he has no, no memory of it. None. Well, that's good, so, I guess, because you don't yeah. want to remember that. But Right. So that's, that's the same thing, though, in terms of her not being able to remember the actual accident. Now, does she remember whether or not she intended to cause an accident that yeah. night? She just strikes. Possibly. She strikes me as a very spoiled young lady who yeah. acted on impulse and refused to, even to this day to take responsibility for her BS actions. And I don't think it's yeah. right. Hopefully, she'll mature and understand that. That, but I, but, but I would tend to think that like her attorneys probably said, if you do remember, don't say anything. You can't say anything. You know. But what you I know mean? what? There but, comes a point where you have to do what's right. You I know? agree. And after, I mean, at this point is, is, and these were community now. members who knew her. It wasn't like a perfect yeah. stranger. It's just, it seemed, it's just struck me as she was an incredibly spoiled young lady and she yeah. did a really stupid thing and she needed to apologize for it. And that would have taken away a lot of the, the pain, but she, you know what else is, I, I wonder though, did they bring her boyfriend or ex-boyfriend or anything up like that in the, in the courtroom? Mm-hmm. Like, did, did he come? Did he testify? Or I don't was know he that he testified. Um, and the thing is, she remembers him. She remembers their interactions. Yeah. She remembers their fight. And But yet, she doesn't remember the texting, I'm going to crash my car. Like, I think that's BS. That could be BS. But the actual not remembering of the accident and then waking up at the hospital is a very real thing. And then trying to blame that him by real. saying, oh, this is just a game we played. It just is really stupid. That seems like kind of covering up after the yeah. fact. But, but, but I just feel like I, she, instead of taking responsibility for action, just blames the brain injury on everything and is like, oh, I can't feel sorry because my brain injury. Oh, I can't do that because my brain injury. Oh, yeah, I can't remember I mean, because of my brain injury. It's convenient. Some of that stuff it's a convenient is like, excuse. some of that stuff, it depends on where the injury to your brain is like, and, and the thing about a brain injury is it doesn't always show up on like a diagnostic yeah. imaging. Well, 
and, it, and it's really hard to diagnose just based on symptoms, but that's kind of how we diagnose concussion. But like, if you do a CT, you're not going to be like, oh, that area of the brain has is concussed. So unless she has like damage that actually degraded part of her brain tissue yeah. like you're not going to be able to know what part of the brain was affected yeah. but i mean at the same time it can be convenient i mean do i think she intended to harm people no i don't think she intended to harm anyone i think it was a consequence of her negligent actions which she needs to take responsibility impulsive for. no one is trying to tell her you intended yeah. to hurt people but this is a consequence of your actions take responsibility for that We've all done really, really stupid things in our lives. And the mm -hmm. best way to deal with that is to take responsibility and apologize for your actions, own it, mm -hmm. and move on. Learn from the experience. It's crappy, mm -hmm. and it's just terrible. And the tragedy that's yeah. caused by this young woman is, is horrific. And honestly, like, her whole thing about, like, she should be able to turn a negative situation into something positive, like... The way that you do that is by taking responsibility. Yeah, and learning from Not by saying, and, I don't deserve to be in prison. Yeah, and trying to make amends to this family. Right. So, right. And she only got four years out of 15-year sentence. So, like, really? Yeah. I mean, come on. And I get it. You know, she's not a murderer in the traditional sense. She didn't go mm -hmm. get a gun and shoot somebody. She wasn't, like, you know, a drug addict. She wasn't a, a multiple um, long-term history offender. But mm -hmm. at the same time, it's like you do the crime you should do the time i don't care how old you are i don't care how much responsibility you claim you do a negligent act you need to take responsibility yeah. for it and be punished there's for also it. i mean there's also a significant mental health component to this because if she was having suicidal ideation yes she's 16 yes she's impulsive but that is also something that needs needs yeah. or needed to be addressed yeah and it's not Absolutely. like we do a good job of addressing that in prisons and then you know there's also a chance with a brain injury that that could be exacerbated so mm -hmm. she definitely needs long-term aftercare and mental mm -hmm. health um experts to step on, on yeah. her behalf and i do hope she i do hope that she gets help and i hope that she learns someday from her actions and makes amends i hope that happens someday i agree and i think it's i mean the whole thing is just tragic, especially it is. like it's terrible An with the ripple effects child, it had, obviously on the other the, the other people and the passengers in the other car. Yeah, but also her own family, like so many things that she just didn't, you know, anticipate because she's sixteen and her brain literally isn't developed enough to consider other things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So but. it's a tragic, tragic case and an interesting one because you don't see many like it, which is yeah. what kind of drew me to this. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to add? Uh, no, I think, I mean, that's just, you're right. I had not heard of that, but that is, yeah. I mean, interesting. Case. That's, it and is, to yeah, me, it's I thought it was even more interesting because of what your career path is mm -hmm. now. So yeah, let's do some emails. Yeah. Let's we do got some good we ones. Emails in a while. Yeah. So we got one that says, hello, Darcy and Sarah. I just wanted, or excuse me. I just listened to your podcast for the first time and love you guys already. I just finished your Madeline McCain episode and two things you mentioned, one, book recommendations, and two, murders in Italy. <laughs> so let me just tell you about myself, quick, quick. My name is Tiziana. I know it's a mouthful. I was born and raised, and God, I hope I said that name right. I'm sorry <laughs> if I didn't. I was born and raised in South Africa to Italian parents and moved to Italy a few years ago. I live in Lucca, Tuscany. I don't know how you say okay. that. L-U-C-C-A. Okay. Probably um, Lucha. Lucha, Tuscany. So yeah, 
I know all about Mr. Monster of Florence, and yes. I have a great book reference for you. <gasps> It's not so much a grisly murder, but an amazing woman's survival after a brutal attack on the beach in South Africa. Ooh. Two horrible men who attacked her are beyond human understanding. The book is I Have a Life, Allison's Journey. And I believe it's on Amazon. I am putting it in my notes right now. Her name is Allison Botha, or Botha. And it just sounds like a really amazing story. And it's something we definitely, I think, have to cover because it sounds like just an incredible story of survival. But she says, you guys are great, doing a fabulous job. Enjoy another episode as we speak. All the best to you both. Kindest regards, Tiziana. Thank you, Tiziana. Or Tiziana. Tiziana. Sorry for saying it wrong if I did. And thank you for the book recommendation. I'm very excited about that. Such an excellent email. For real. Um, And then we got another one. And goodness gracious. Um, Her name is Rose. And she says, hi, BFD podcast. I just wanted to take the time to say how much I love your podcast. I found it a week ago when I read about Colin Pitchfork on the news. I live in England and was particularly interested, and I've never heard of the case, so I searched on Apple Podcasts, and yours came up. Oh. So she was basically heard about this case on the news and was like, oh, let me look this case up. And our podcast popped up when she did a search on Apple, which is so awesome. It does matter, guys, when you talk about us, when you rate, review, and subscribe. It just goes to show, right? She says, I was hooked. I have listened morning, noon, and night. The episodes are so thoroughly researched and really respectful to the victims without being dark and sinister, which I really don't like about most true crime podcasts. I've also found it so interesting listening to cases from American perspectives. Hmm. I have learned so much. I particularly enjoyed the Eva Perone episode, which wasn't necessarily true crime, but um, it was just an interesting kind of tribute to Women's History Month. Yeah. But she says, anyway, I just want to say a huge thank you. I'm walking a lot at the moment to distract myself, and this has been the best companion. Thank you so much, Rose. Oh, thank you, Rose. Right? That yeah. email just made my day. Like, yeah. both of those two ladies writing to us and just saying such nice things. Just Yeah. It just warms my heart, and I was so happy. I was walking on air for a while after that. But one last email says, hi, Darcy and Sarah. I just wanted to reach out and say thank you for being so genuine and authentic. So many podcasters out there are so fake and refuse to address the real issues going on in our world. You two aren't afraid to discuss these and keep it real. Keep up the good work, John and Virginia. Thanks, John and Virginia. I know. I was just like, oh, the feels. (laughs) (laughs) Such nice people. Yeah. The thing is, people who complain generally don't write us emails. That's the thing. Yeah. They usually will do a comment on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. I had one fine. one negative comment that came in on Instagram. And Did you? I immediately deleted it and blocked the person because it was just a, a nasty, mean, not constructive at all. It was what just, does it say? I don't It just said it. something like, you guys suck. Oh. And that was it. Cool. So I was just like, okay, delete. Like, if you're not yeah. going to be specific and be like, okay, you're, you know, this is what's wrong and this is what's wrong, then I'm not going to address right. it or spend any time being concerned about it. But Right. So thank you so much, John, Tiziana, and Rose for writing yeah. to us. Um, please send us an email. If you have something to say, if you want a little shout out, if you have a book recommendation, if you have a show suggestion, send us it. We're more than happy to follow that advice and, and follow up on the stories because we are always looking for interesting new content to share on the show. Is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap the episode up? I don't think so. Um, maybe listening to us morning, noon, and night is 
too much of, of, <laughs> of me, maybe. Um, don't get burnt out on me. Uh, right. But other than that, no, thank you so much for writing the, the nice emails. Yeah, I would just ask, please rate, review, and subscribe because it helps listeners like Rose find us on yeah. Apple Podcasts and other platforms. Um, and what's our social media? Yeah, we are at the BFD Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, Sarah usually does a better job at the Instagram than I do at the Twitter. What? But we try and post <laughs> <laughs> we try and post pictures and show notes and all that good stuff. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I've been negligent lately. I Dude, just, I have too. Things have just been insane. I'm starting a new job yeah. in like three days, four days, yeah. and so I my life has been chaos. Yeah, so dude. I apologize I, to the Instagram fans. Basically, like I kind of not to get too much into it, but I ended up moving kind of home to Birmingham on very short notice um, for some family reasons. So uh, life has been kind of hectic and I've just kind hey, of family first. Yeah. So so sorry about the, the Twitter and the lack of recording and everything. But we're getting back to, to the groove. Things Stuff are normal, happens. Like normalizing. Things yeah. come up. You know, we have lives. We're human yeah. beings, too. So, like, we try not to le- neglect our creative endeavors, like podcasting. But I got to tell you, I it's been a stretch for me to do creative content yeah. for anything lately just because I've just been so swamped with a mm-hmm. million other paperwork things. Because when you start a new job at a large company, you got to mm-hmm. do a ton of paperwork. I'm returning all my old equipment, getting the new equipment, and... You know, creating my office, which I refuse to show anyone yet. I'm not posting any pictures because it's a disaster area right now. I need to put stuff away and unpack and, and get things situated. And I haven't even done that yet just because I've been so – I've been very, very stressed as well. Yeah. Like I, I would say I've been frazzled. I yeah. think that's a pretty good word for I feel kind of like on. constant state of semi-anxiety uh-huh. that I'm medicating myself with a drink every night. Uh-oh. <laughs> so – I'm like, my thing has been like, I've been paralyzed by like, I'm overwhelmed with all of the things that I have to do that like, yes. it just paralyzes me and I can't do yes. any of it. You know what I mean? Yes. So that's kind of where you. I'm at. I feel you on a whole nother level. Yeah, dude. Um, so sorry. <laughs> we're, we're doing our best, but we are human. Just this like is part of else. our keeping it real. <laughs> Absolutely. Part. So in any case, Please, oh, I already said that. I already yeah. said the email thing. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can shoot us an email at the podcast at gmail.com. And until then, please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.